Welcome to For 10 Points, the best podcast on the web for everything quiz ball related. Whether you're a player, a coach, or just trying to improve, we can help you get better. I'm your host, Ken Romeo, and with me, as always, is my co-coach, Andrew Tiriago. Andrew, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. I got my Halloween costume picked out, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to eat some candy. So what are you going to be for Halloween, Mr. T? Uh, I will be uh, Where's Waldo of uh, Where's Waldo fame. Uh, I thought it was appropriate to choose a, a, a important, prominent literary figure, and uh, you know, the kids always get a, a laugh out of it. So. How did you ever find the costume? Uh, you know... Amazon helped, so shout out, shout out to Jeff Bezos. He doesn't have enough business coming his way. Uh, he needs, he really needs our support well, financially. Shout out to Jeff Bezos, and shout out to all of you for helping us be- become uh, Mr. T. If I have this right, one of the top ten percent most listened to podcasts in the history of the world. Yes. Uh, so apparently, the bar is is uh, lower than expected, uh, which is great for us. Um, and uh, I think that there are uh, a tremendous number of podcasts that are, you know, someone makes the podcast and then five people tune in. And uh, by virtue of our uh, dogged persistency, uh, I don't know if persistency is a word, but I'm going to stick with it. Consistency, I, I meant to say, uh, over our uh, 28, now 29 episodes, we have somehow uh, climbed up the rungs into uh, what is now the top 10% of podcasts in the world. Well, we certainly don't do any advertising or anything like that. So everything is just by word of mouth. So thank you very much for sharing the news about this podcast and helping us reach listeners from all over the country and all over the world. We really appreciate it, Um, especially uh, if you are uh, someone who is part of a Quizable community and you know some people who could benefit from listening to this podcast. We uh, hugely, hugely appreciate uh, if you, you know, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or whatever, or if you just uh, share this with a friend or two. We really appreciate that. Well, the Quiz Bowl season is off to a good start. I know we're looking forward to our tournament next month, a little earlier than we normally do it, but we'll be doing our Charter Oak in November. But there have been some scores that have already been posted, so let's take a look. Sounds great. It's time to take a look around the country and dive into the tournament results that have been posted. All right, let's start on the West Coast. Last Saturday, the Best View October Middle School Tournament when, uh, it was hosted by Westview High School in San Diego, California. That was MS-47 Challenger Berryessa, a, uh, one of the strongest teams in the country. They go 9-0. and They beat Oak Valley B in the finals to win the tournament. Uh, Mihir... Konkapaka from Mesa Verde was the tournament's top scorer. Averaged 120 points per game, but only played in four matches. And I, I found out that Mahir is actually the uh, spelling bee champion from from San Diego. So a little little diversified among his mm-hmm. uh, mind sports. Some cross pollination. Exactly. Uh, so congratulations to Mahir and congratulations to Challenger Barriessa, uh, who were led by their captain Arush Vasha, who averaged seventy eight points per game. Uh, we've also got the Miami Valley School Fall Kickoff Tournament. Uh, this happened on Saturday, October twenty first, and this host uh, was the Miami Valley School in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, their question set was MS-47. And Walnut Hills B won the middle school division going 8-1 and one on the day. And Will Alderman of Perry Middle School averaged 93 points per game to be the middle school's top scorer. Uh, Little Miami defeats Beaver Creek in the finals to win the high school bracket. 
All right, over in Tennessee, the Gallatin High School, um, they hosted Gallatin Middle School Fall Invitational. Brentwood A had a really, really impressive showing. Uh, they faced off against the University School of Nashville. They were both 9-0 heading into the finals, and the match finished 395-305 with Brentwood A coming out on top. Carson Tidwell from Merrill Hyde A was the top scorer uh, overall, averaging 152 points per game. Brentwood Middle School is coached by Colleen Spears. Nice job by both teams. In uh, other results, the Houston R1 school from Houston, Missouri, uh, were behind a great performance from Keaton Hinkle, uh, who wins the Clever Fall Middle School Invitational. Uh, interesting to note that on bonuses, uh, Brentwood A averaged 24.05 PPG on NAQT's MS47, which is two hundredths of a point better than Redwood A, who averaged 24.03 PPB at the TQBA Middle School online tip-off earlier in the month for the top spot on that packet thus far. All right, so we brought up that last point in the scoreboard about bonuses because that's what we're talking about today on the podcast. We're talking about bonuses. And uh, 24 points per bonus is incredible. I want to say if you are a team that is like seriously thinking of playing in nationals and competing in nationals, not just, not just going for the experience, which please go for the experience if you make it. But if you really want to make some noise, 20 points per bonus is the gold standard. So 24 is amazing. You know, let's. Because you're getting more than two out of three of the parts of the bonus rate. Yes, you're getting more than two out of three on the bonus 40% of the time, mm-hmm. which is, again, amazing. So, if, I mean, if you're up there, then you're, you're good. You're gold. You're exactly where you want to be. But 20 points per bonus is um, really what I look at when I'm looking at these scores and I want to know who's serious competition for Middlesex and who is a team that I, I think we can beat comfortably. 20 points per bonus is that delineator. If it's above, okay, this, this team's legit. If it's below, our top teams should have a good a, shot, a good shot of yeah. beating them, right? Maybe they had a good day or a good tournament. But the, I think the, the, what we're getting at is the points per bonus is a really consistent long-run indicator of how good your team is. Okay, and the reason for that is, you know, the other statistics out there are points per game. And if you look at Brentwood and the University School of Nashville, both of which are two really good schools and probably should make the playoffs at MSNCT. But if you look at their points per game, they both averaged well over 500 points per game. <clears throat> And one of the things you have to consider is in that tournament, they don't count negs. So not only does that give you a bump in score, it might also make people a little bit less hesitant to buzz in. Mm -hmm. So that that kind of changes the way that they're going to play a game. So you have to look at the scoring rules. And, And secondly, points per game is also affected by your opponent. So if you're playing against weaker competition... And you average 500 points per game, but only 19 points per bonus. That's telling me once you play against a better school, once you get a better team that's going to beat you to these questions, 
you're doesn't matter how many points you got against the scrubs you know you're not going to beat these better teams. it's not a consistent indicator really. precisely but there is a consistent indicator ken and that's points per bonus yes power percentage and points per bonus and today we're going to talk about bonuses so a little bit of background one of the things that uh always attracted me about bonuses is just that they are potentially three-fourths of the total points you can get in a game of quiz bowl um if you scored 400 points 300 of those points were probably roughly approximately from bonuses um and it always attracted me because this is the part of quiz bowl where your opponent can't interfere right this is where all of your prior practice this is where all of the time that you spent uh individually studying um really comes to light right there's no one who can interfere there's no one who can uh, jump in and answer the question for you it is just you and about five seconds uh, to make sure do you know this question or do you not Um, and so your bonus scores are a perfect test of how much you have prepared in advance Uh, it is just the case that strong teams have consistently higher bonus points Uh, And we think that there is a strategy behind bonuses. Uh, It is something that a lot of the top teams have just figured out over time. They've kind of, you know, had a sort of trial and error road to it. But I think just talking about that strategy, talking about uh, why why it helps or uh, how you can improve uh, is something that is just good for Quiz Bowl in general. So... If, uh, if you were a team or a player that wanted to improve your bonus PPG, Ken, uh, what's one piece of advice okay. you have? So nothing can replace knowing things. Nothing can replace that. There's nothing that, that Mr. T and I are going to tell you today that is going to replace just knowing things. The best performance I ever saw by a team on bonuses was the 2019 Churchill team, the team that came in seconds. They lost to Hunter in the finals on the last question. That was Moxie and Oliver Twist. But when we played them, I kid you not, Andrew, every single bonus question, they, I think they 30'd every single bonus, and all four of them knew the answer to every single bonus. And honestly, you can't do better than that, right? Yeah. Where all four of them knew every single bonus question, and so you, you can't beat that. Um, so no things that's, that's, that's rule number one. And honestly, that's not something that Mr. T and I can help you do. That is you studying on your own and preparing on your own. So here's what you do have to understand though. Most of the time we don't have a team as strong as Churchill from 2019, but what we do have are four bright kids who are up there on a team and they'll ask their three part bonus and just, just know that. The, the three-part bonus, whether it's NAQT or any other company that writes them, they're structured so that one of the bonuses is easy, one is medium, and one is hard. And it's not always in that order. So there's a good chance that on a lot of the bonus questions, 50 to 60% of the bonus questions, everyone's going to know them or no one's going to know them. And there's, there's nothing we could do about that, right? Mm-hmm. So... The, the trick is with that other, like, the other 40 to 50%, how do we get the information from you and the information from me and put them together and turn that into a correct answer? Mm-hmm. So I think that the answer to that is uh, teams that maybe are struggling with bonuses or teams that really want to improve uh, how they're performing on bonuses have players that still stay quiet. 
they think that because they don't know the answer exactly to what the the question is asking, what they have to add or what they have to say isn't valuable. And what you always want to do is make sure that you are adding to the conversation. The strongest teams have every single person contribute. And that's not always necessarily just by having every person say the correct answer in its entirety, right? Um, There's a window of only a few seconds where you're saying, obviously, what you think it might be and why. But there's there's a lot of space in those couple of seconds to talk over each other, to talk to each other and when I see a team can uh, at a tournament where I'm reading or moderating and, you know, one or two people are participating in the bonus, I see, you know, the other 50% of the team is giving up a lot of equity. They're, they're potentially adding, they could be potentially adding to that conversation every single bonus. And they're not just because they're like, well, I don't really know that much about presidents. I don't really know that much about, you know, Niagara Falls, but there are a lot of things that you can do that do help your team. And I want to go over uh, just a few of them right now. Um, So the first thing you can do is learn to recognize a close answer or an answer that sounds like or seems like the right answer. During a bonus is the best time to go, isn't this, or who's the person from the, if you can remember some kind of a connected clue, uh, some kind of a connection between something that you do know, that will probably spark some sort of recognition in your teammates. Um, There's a a moment of synergy when a team does this really well where they're exchanging a lot of information and they're consolidating it. Even saying something like, that's not it, is helpful information for these teams that really trust each other. So there are 10 things that you can do if you find yourself saying, I really don't know anything about Patagonia. How can I still help with this question? Right? So the first thing you can do is say, isn't that the guy who also did X, right? This is a very common thing. If they're asking for a president, if they're asking for an explorer, didn't he also do this? Was he the guy who also sailed on this ship? Or was that in this year? All of those facts and things, your team is able to put together a cohesive answer. And they might say, no, that's a different guy. They're asking about this guy. And that might spark an answer back in you where you go, oh, if they're asking for that guy, I know who that guy is. That's Francisco Pizarro. Right. Remember how we always talk about connecting dots. That's Mrs. Ivy's big thing. We're always about connecting dots and the clues we hear connect dots. Well, now we have a chance to connect my dots to your dots. And so if we throw out, yeah, isn't isn't this the guy that signed this document or isn't this mm-hmm. the, the person that founded this? That might like I don't I can't quite connect the dot in my head, but hey, I have this dot and I think it's connected to it. And then you can connect mm-hmm. to mine. This is phone a friend on you know, who wants to be a millionaire and you have three friends right there. You can all talk to each other really quick. Um, one thing that I really love when students do is they say, uh, it said president, it's asking for a president. What were the presidents around that time? It's, it's around like 18, 18, 1820, right? Who was the president in 1820? Does anyone know? Just that saying that in the span of a couple seconds, someone might say, Oh, 1820. Is that Andrew Jackson? Something like that. Right. And even if it's not exact, let me look up exactly who the president was in 1820. I believe it was John Quincy Adams. Let's see. 1820 president. We're getting a live Google real quick. It is James Monroe. Oh, okay. All right. So We're going to edit that. Uh, we'll edit <laughs> it. It was so James Monroe, right. of course. Yes. Uh, Ken knew the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he cleverly you know, said the wrong answer so that I wouldn't look so foolish. I uh, appreciate that. 
Um, so if you're asking like what presidents were there at the time, what, what year are they looking for? What time span are they looking for? Is that in the Renaissance? Is that in the middle ages? Uh, are they asking for like Mesopotamia or is this, you know, uh, like Mansa Musa? Like if you're, if you're thinking in terms of like epics and time spans, then that can trigger a lot of your, your teammates to be thinking in the same space as well. Um, and you're, you're basically just taking a huge set of all possible answers. It could be, maybe you have 10,000 possible answers and you're going, well, if it's in the 1800s, you've just narrowed that down. If you're, if you're, you and your teammates now agree, okay, it's somewhere in the 1800s. You've just narrowed the, the group of possible presidents, for example, from a huge set to around 20, right? And that is, uh, you know, you're, you're getting rid of, of like a, a dead weight, right? Uh, another technique that I think is really helpful is just repeating part of the question where you think that your teammates might get caught up. If you say something like, it's asking for a capital, not a country. As soon as someone says, oh, this is a, um, you know, Paris. And you're saying, uh, well, okay, it, yes, it is. it could be Paris because it's asking for a capital. It's it's not a country, as one of your other friends goes. Isn't that France? Just repeating that, that information that's in the question that someone might miss. I can't tell you the number of times that uh, I have seen a really, really impressive, talented team at Nationals say the Greek goddess instead of the Roman goddess. That is, you know, uh, a mistake that only experts make. Uh, and you can save your friends from that uh, terrible, terrible fate and their own hubris by repeating that part of the question. Yeah, sure. Or like, all right, guys, they're looking for an author and he sounds, he sounds American mm-hmm. or he sounds Russian. Like, you know, because then even at that point, if you're guessing, you know, you're giving yourself a shot as opposed to just staying silent. You're eliminating a huge number of wrong answers by just honing down that and, guess. And, and let me also say, like, the opposite of that is when the, the team doesn't talk, and let's say they are looking for a Russian author, mm-hmm. and the captain gets prompted, like, I don't know, Poe, and then one of the, one of the teammates is like, Poe's not Russian. Mm-hmm. Like, well, okay, well, why, why say that five seconds earlier? Yeah, right. Why did you yeah. say that before? Why did you say like, okay, we're looking for a Russian author. Mm-hmm. And then who knows? Maybe they can just say the one that they do know. The one Dostoevsky. Tolstoy. Or, yeah. and again, it's, you know, you still might not know it, but at least give yourself a shot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is it mentioned this, which makes me think of this, right? It mentioned, uh, it mentioned Patagonia, which makes me think of South America, right? Cause that's, that's my fact for the week is I just learned that Patagonia is in South America. Thank you, Mrs. Ivy. Um, you can tell I never took geography in school. Um, so it mentioned this, which makes me think of this sharing what you do know, sharing what you are sure that you, you know, uh, what information you do have. Uh, what do you all think if you're really starting from square one? Um, and it turn it, it comes to you and it's like, uh, this American, you know, and you turn to your group and you say, what do you all think? Who do you think it could be? Just that prompting, even in the space of a second or two, someone might say, they might just shrug their shoulders and say, I don't know, Edgar Allan Poe. And if you didn't have anything that you just went from having a 0% chance to get that bonus, right. To having some percent, right. That's a, you correct my math on this, Ken, but that's an infinitely more likely chance to get it right if you're going from zero to something, right? Um, uh, after someone else says something, a really useful thing to say is, uh, yes, it's X, I'm sure. Uh, a lot of our teams uh, you know, use this tool of I'm sure or it's X, I'm sure. 
Um, and when you say that, it's very like your word is your bond. Like I have seen students try to abuse the it's X, I'm sure, or you know, it's Thomas Jefferson, I'm sure. And then when it isn't Thomas Jefferson, there is a visible like their teammates look at them and say like, you know, next time you say it's X, I'm sure, we're not going to believe you. Yeah, it becomes white noise. Yeah. Uh, so if it's something that you can save, and it's something that you can you can put a little bit of your reputation on the line. That you know, I was just reading about this. It's X, I'm sure. Uh, and if that is the case, then your teammates might get behind your answer because your goal, if you know a bonus, and your teammates are unsure about whether to go with your answer or someone else, your goal is to assertively, aggressively, you know. Uh, push for your answer to be the answer that your group says, right? We always say to our, our players that if you knew the bonus and then your team doesn't go with that answer, uh, the responsibility falls on you, right? That you did not advocate enough for your answer. Um, after that, the opposite of that is it's not, I'm not sure it isn't him after someone else says an incorrect guess, right? Says this president and someone says, Oh, is it Benjamin Franklin? You can say, I know that it's not Benjamin Franklin because he wasn't a president, right? Um, any information that you're removing from the equation just makes your guess much more likely. Um, you can say, I'm sure it's not X. I'm sure it's not Alexander Hamilton, and I'm sure it's not Benjamin Franklin, because neither of those people who were on money were presidents, right? Um, and the last one of my top 10 list would be X. Is that related to this other thing, right? Um, if they are talking about, um, you know, uh, Julius Caesar, and you say, okay, is that related to, you know, um, like Shakespeare potentially, right? Um, anything that you can do that is drawing a connection, you showing the rest of the group what your threads are, what your dots are, lets them potentially make connections that won't happen. Bonuses are about sparking someone else's fire, right? You are taking your flint and your steel and making little sparks and your teammates are the ones who are either going to, you know, uh, absolutely catch fire and figure out what's happening, or maybe, you know, they also might have some sparks that make something jog your memory. Like if you don't remember the Eiffel Tower, it is, you know, it's been a long day, nine hours of Quiz Bowl, and you literally cannot remember what the Eiffel Tower is. But you say, guys, this is the big triangle tower in Paris, France then I guarantee you, you've given them plenty of sparks. Someone else will look at you and, you know, kind of quizzically probably say, like, do you mean the Eiffel Tower? And you say, yes, that's it. That's the answer, right? And that person may not have gotten it without you. They might not have made that connection. So you're, inf you're processing all of the information that's given to you in a bonus together as a group, right? If it's just one or two people or if it's just the captain, you are giving up so much value. You're giving up so much EV, and I... I you know, cannot say enough when you watch a really impressive team do this, uh, it, it really changes your idea of what bonuses should look like, what a, a, a good team should look like when they're, you know, answering a bonus. So let's un understand a couple of things here. If you're a coach listening to this, make sure that you are fostering this conversation during bonuses in practice mm -hmm. and encouraging your quieter students to speak up and praising the quieter students when they do speak up. If you are looking for captains of your your teams from A, B, like down, look for the ones that are open to the ideas of other people that aren't just going to spit out the correct answer all the time 
because they're not interested in a discussion with their team. They're interested in them being right and being acknowledged as the one who's right. And that's not going to help you when you have three other people that might have something else to say. So I always look for people that are diplomatic, that want to listen to what other people say, even if it means going against what they believe sometimes, you know. And also, if you're a player, especially if you're one of these captains, it is your job to start and continue and grow this conversation Mm -hmm. on a bonus. Sometimes, even if you know the answer, sometimes even if you're 100% sure, but you're practicing and you're on a team with with the freshman or with the sixth grader that's just learning how to do this, you know that the answer is Stephen Hawking. Mm-hmm. You can still turn to your teammates and guys and say, "Hey, wasn't it wasn't it Stephen Hawking who does mm-hmm. a briefer does, history of time?" Yeah, it, it, he's the guy that does black holes, right? Maybe they'll just stare at you blankly because they they honestly don't know. But at least you you are inviting them into that conversation and you're teaching them, "Hey, this is the way bonuses work. Bonus, we are a team. We are going to answer as a team. It's not just going to be me giving my answer." Mm-hmm. At the minimum, you can also just temperature check someone else's guess. If they're asking about volcanoes and your teammate starts talking about, was that, uh, you know, Hurricane Katrina? Or you can say, like, if in that situation, if you don't speak up, that's 100% on you, right? It is your responsibility as a member of that team to say, to share the information that you do know, right? It's like, turn out your pockets. Like, give me everything that you know, right? Um, and really great teams turn inward during bonuses they don't care about their opponent overhearing them this is a common thing that i see in uh teams that are uh newer to quiz bowl or teams that maybe sometimes play with bounce backs um they might be you know whispering or like conspiring about a bonus you can just loudly talk about bonuses because there's no chance for your opponent to steal um the worst thing you can possibly do is be too quiet and not stand up for yourself when you actually have the right answer so don't be afraid of of speaking and suggesting your ideas loudly. It's not too often that teams that are good at talking will debate between answers where one of them's correct and then choose the other one because the one that's correct is usually the person that's correct will say, no, it's this and this is why it's this. Mm -hmm. But it happens sometimes. You're right. And if you are playing in a tournament with bounce backs and somebody steals that answer, you're going to make up for it for all of the other bonus points that you get anyway. Mm -hmm. But Andrew, this is such a good topic because I want to say uh, maybe two weeks ago we were in practice and I was reading a, a bonus question and I had um, one team that had sixth and seventh graders on it and the question was looking for some sort of like computer programming term. Mm-hmm. I'm not a computer programmer. I, this isn't a term that I was familiar with. I think there was someone on the team that had some knowledge of computer programming, Mm -hmm. but it was asking for something in reference to like, it was named after Napoleon and one of his military tactics. Mm -hmm. And for two seconds, there was silence. And then one of my players, the seventh grader was like, well, I know Napoleon liked to like, like divide his enemies up Mm -hmm. and, and then the the captain team says, "Okay, so how about divide and conquer?" And that was the correct answer. Mm-hmm. So that was just like the the perfect embodiment of what we're doing. Where someone's like, "Okay, I don't know anything about computer science, but I do know Napoleon. Napoleon liked to d- 
divide the enemy up and mm-hmm. uh, and 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 attack them when they were weaker. And the other person's like, okay, well, let's turn that into a phrase that sounds like it could be something. Mm-hmm. And it got them ten points. Yeah, not saying it was a, an important game that they won by ten points, and now mm-hmm. they're some sort of champion. But it was just, it was just something that just proved the point. You have to talk to each other. And if you do this over and over and over and over again, these 10 points aren't just in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. You're going to be, you know, 30, 40, 50 points better per match. And that is a difference between winning games and losing games, between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs, without a doubt. I thought it might be interesting if we took a bonus and kind of like played out what this would look like. Now, I've never seen this before. And I, I am, well, I'll be 100% honest with you. I'm looking at the question with the answers in front of me, so I, I am just playing this out, okay? All right, so the bonus starts. This story's protagonist is depressed by receiving an invitation to Minister Rompano's party, but is cheered up when her husband uses money he had saved for a rifle to pay for her new dress instead. Mm-hmm. For 10 points each, name the short story in which Matilda Loisel borrows the title piece of jewelry from Madame Forestier and then spends 10 years working to replace it after losing it at a dance. All right, Mr. T, they're mm-hmm. looking for a short story. Yeah. And they, it sounds French. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Guide de Montpassant, is that what they said? Um, I don't think they is that in the question? that in the question. But that name comes to mind based on all the details. Okay, but we need the name me. of a short story. Okay, so the name for a short story by Guy de Montpassant about something borrowed that costs a lot of money is the necklace. Okay. All right, so the necklace is correct. The next part is, the necklace is by this French writer whose other short stories include Bell, Ball of Fat, Useless Beauty, and The Orla. So and This one is a guy de Yeah, we've already yeah. talked about it. Okay. Uh, in The Orla, an unnamed narrator keeps a diary of, this strange, uh, of strange experiences with an unseen monster that feeds off, the, uh, off of his life energy during the night and compares the Orla to one of these legendary creatures that survives by drinking blood. All right, so okay, creatures a, a drinking vampire, blood that sounds a, like a vampire. That sounds like a vampire to me, okay, yeah. Okay, so that'll be our guess, and yeah. that's correct. All right, by the way, those are um, questions from Scop MS 10 uh, That was round round two, bonus number four. Give them a shout-out, uh, Scop MS 10 Okay, so you can kind of see how that works. Now, we obviously would have ran out of time. We would have been prompted for for time on, on, uh, on the first part there, but... Um, I think I would have come up with the necklace if I wasn't looking at it. I might have been like my first thought might have been the gift of the Magi. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if, so Mr. Chief, so I'm like, okay, were, they're, they're talking saying, about giving gifts and yeah. the gift of the Magi. Uh, so, gift of the Magi. No, no, no. That's a that's a comb and the the watch. Right. That's not that's not the one where she borrows the thing. The okay. one where she borrows the thing. That's the um, you know. This is a this is a Mrs. West's favorite story. Okay, and I might say like, oh, remember we were in social studies class. And Mrs. West assigned the story, and she said this was her favorite story. And you might say, oh, it was the necklace? Yeah, we yeah. were both in that class. Right? But but even so, like if I if I didn't know the necklace, and I'm sitting with somebody who does, like I offer like, oh, is it this? It's like, oh no no no, it's not that because of this. It's the necklace. Then that would have sparked it. Okay, yes, that does make sense. The necklace mm-hmm. fits what's going on with the rest of the story. And again, again, Mr. T. Going back to what we said before, if you have four people that have mm-hmm. never heard of the necklace and Guy de Montpassant mm-hmm. and um, any of this stuff, th- there's nothing we can do. Okay, yeah. we, like you mm-hmm. have to, you have to know more. You mm-hmm. have to study, and you so have the to last know more. one though. I think that a team that didn't know the necklace or uh, Guy de Montpassant uh, would literally go like, okay, a, a monster that drinks blood is that a vampire? Yeah, right, like a vampire bat. 
Right. Like, let's say you have someone who knows bio. Well, a vampire bat is the bat that drinks blood. Is it a vampire? Like, and then you get, well, we get 10 points on this obscure literature question. So, so remember, one easy, one medium, one hard. And I'd mm-hmm. say it's the, the hard one was knowing the necklace. And if you mm-hmm. knew the necklace, chances are you knew the author. Or vice versa. Maybe maybe you knew um, maybe you knew the author, but not the name of the story. Uh, and then the easy one was uh, was vampires. So, all right. But that's just to kind of model what we're talking about there. Uh, so, for anyone who's looking to improve their scores on bonuses, you and your team, number one, you need to talk as much as you can in that space of five seconds. It sounds maybe counterintuitive because you'd really want to listen for that five seconds and see if anyone says the right answer. But you need to talk and offer as much information as you can. The second point, something that you say that is an incomplete piece of information might be exactly the piece that someone else needs to put the entire question together. Whether you or someone else on your team gets the final answer for the bonus correct does not actually affect your score, right? That is points for your team. You're all on the same team. Um, And what good players do is they offer the information that they do know, that they're sure about, and they also bounce off of others' ideas. They say, I know that it's that. I know that it's not that. Uh, If if I'm hearing a question about something I've absolutely never heard of, um, let's say you've given me a question about, you know, uh, folk tales from a, a country I've never been to or never read about, Uh, I might say, okay, that sounds like it could be something similar to this, right? Uh, There's a lot of tips and tricks and, you know, the earlier ones that I I listed, uh, things that you can do to help your team, especially if you're a newer player and you're not sure what to do during bonuses. Any of those phrases, if you can just grab onto something like they're looking for an author, they're looking for a country, um, they're asking about a president, even those little prompts will help all of the members of your team to come up with the, the right answer. So... There is a right and a wrong way to play bonuses. And chances are, if your team is not making a lot of noise during that five seconds or so that you have, it is, there, is, there are points to be gained and there is, there is a, a space for improvement. You know, Mr. T, it's always great when we have some of our listeners email our show and uh, and ask us questions. I don't always check the email <laughs> promptly, but if, I if I, I, I had try. access to the email, I would have checked it. Promptly, I've given I'm you sure. access. You just don't remember I'm the sure. password. Yes, well, doesn't matter. Um, but if you have questions for us, uh, the email address is four ten points at gmail dot com. That's four f o r the number ten points at gmail dot com. And we are very happy to hear from one of our listeners, Michelle in Kentucky. She writes, I'm a listener from a small K-12 school in Kentucky. Here we have an academic team and there is a quiz bowl, similar component, but also content testing where students take a test in a particular content area, social studies, science, arts, humanities, language arts, and math. My children are in fourth, fifth, and seventh grade. My oldest has been doing this for three years and went on to be the state champion or the state competition uh, for the first time last year. Congratulations. Um, And I'll be coaching my youngest two on the elementary school team for the first time. And I want to know, I'm very interested in how you help students develop a specialization. Do they pick one on their own, at their own pace? Can they change it any time? Do you separate kids by their uh, specialty at practice? I'd love to get your tips on this. Thanks so much, Michelle in Kentucky. And thank you, Michelle, for listening. Great question. Thank you for writing in. Um, yeah, Mr. T, like ideally 
for uh, our top teams, we have specialists in geography, history, science, and literature. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes we have to play the hand that we're dealt. Some of our strongest players ever have looked at the players they're, they're certainly going to be playing with on the A-team and kind of had a, a, a moment of self-reflection and said, well, uh, I'm probably not going to be our geography expert, uh, so I'm going to start diversifying and filling in those other gaps. And that's a really winning formula. And some years you just have generalists. You just have a player that's strong in a, in a number of things. I would say Aiden Unesian last year was, was one of those for us. He was pretty strong across the board. And we try to fill in spaces around him. But at, at this age... Well, I would love to put kids in a box and say, you do this, you do this, you do this. It still has to be fun for them. And Mr. T, of, of all of our coaches, you're the one that has always reminded me of that, that this needs to be fun for our kids. And so if they are not interested in learning something, they are not going to have fun trying mm-hmm. to study that. So I'm not going to force anybody to specialize in anything. I can encourage it. And we are very fortunate to have you who knows literature and Mrs. Ivy, who is the geography queen of Connecticut. And if I, not the nation. Um, and I, I pretend to know science and, and math. Um, I do know math, but I do pretend to know science. So we, we do try to like help kids in specialization, but... But that's something that, uh, at least in middle school, I have found is like grows organically. Mm-hmm. Once you get to high school, from what I hear from our alumni that come back and play, then it's a little bit more. You, you have to because the canon is so much larger. You can't just be a generalist in high school. You need to specialize there. Can I uh, can I throw you a little bit of a curveball here, Ken? Sure. Uh, as a as a math person, when I tell you or when I give you the phrase diminishing returns, what comes to mind? What do you think about? Uh, I think of the law of diminishing returns, and I do think of, you know, putting in a lot of time for something and then not getting out uh, something at a at a constant rate. So I yeah. do think of something like that. So if if let's say I had a a Spanish test coming up, and I spent you know two or three hours studying, those two or three hours spent studying and making flashcards and reviewing the vocabulary probably would translate pretty well into my score on the exam. Uh, after three hours, I might have a 97 or a 98, potentially. Spending another 12 hours studying for that same Spanish test, the returns on my investment of the time that I spend studying, at that point, they've they've diminished. They've gone down drastically. And this is what I feel about students not studying things that they really care about. I think at this age in middle school, there is a, a serious law of diminishing returns when a student who loves art and uh who loves music and you know uh plays three instruments uh takes three hours out of their day to try to remember civil war generals there is a a a very very powerful law of diminishing returns in how easily they're going to be able to memorize that information uh how quickly they're going to be able to access it when they need it and whether they're going to be able to connect those dots with dots that they already have that are really strongly entrenched. Uh, I would love for that student who uh, is really passionate about art and music 
to maybe take a look at a different part of art if they if they're really familiar with you know the history of uh, like all these different instruments and things like that. I might ask them to look at you know uh, well if you know about these composers, look at the countries where they're from and the capitals of those countries and what concert halls are there and where have they performed, and um, uh, potentially like expand into maybe some geography related to that or expand into some some painters. Right, uh, those dots I feel like would be more closely related to what they already have, and they would get more enjoyment out of spending that time studying. Um, which brings me to what I think is my ironclad rule about this in particular. When students ask me, uh, "What is the best thing? You know, what is what's the best type of person you can be for Quiz Bowl? Uh, who's the player that you're most afraid of playing against in Quiz Bowl? Or what kind of player are you are you nervous to play against?" And the player that I'm most nervous to play against is someone who really cares about their subject, someone who loves their subject, someone who is incredibly passionate about a book or a, uh, a country or a, you know, uh, a particular discipline. Like maybe they love geology and they want to talk all about mountain building and, and feldspar and igneous and, and metamorphic rocks, and they can't get enough of that. If that player who is incredibly passionate about geology gets a soil question, there is there's very little chance we're going to beat that player to like soil himself to, to to listing like you know when they're listing types of peat and compost and uh, you know like th- that player just by virtue of what they're passionate about is going to naturally answer that question and and. Uh, you know, get there faster than someone who, you know, spent three or four hours making flashcards about earth science. And so what I can say, the way to get around this is to be passionate about lots of things. Like if you love watching YouTube videos about science or math or engineering, that's fantastic. We want you to do that. And we want you to come to Quizbowl the next day and be excited and be showing people, you know, about perpetual motion machines and things like that. What we don't want you to do is spend hours and hours studying material that you really could not care less about. There are dramatically diminishing returns to that. And the strength of Quizbowl, I have always said, is that because you have four players on a team, if there is if there are topics that really put you to sleep that you could, you know, you would love to not have to study, like for some people it's, you know, American history, or for some people it's, you know, they, that when they look at the periodic table, they get terrified. Um, you don't have to learn that information. You can focus on other areas that are equally important, and you can focus on other areas that are uh, just as likely to come up in quizable questions that you personally get excited about. And if you are that player that comes in and you have read every single Hunger Games book and you know the backstory of every single character and... Uh, a question about that comes up. The other team has no chance. It is it is almost impossible for them to get that question right and beat you to that question. Um, so I feel like to that end, the the kinds of players that I'm most scared to play against are passionate players who love learning, players who love learning about things. Uh, they they make lots of personal connections to the material. So they might say. Oh, Honduras. My mom is from Honduras. I've been there one time. My my aunt lives in this city, and my uncle lives in this city. And uh, one of my cousins went to school at this university, and that's in Honduras. And because they have a personal connection to 
you might say after certain things, it seems like every country is your favorite country. And it seems like everything that comes up, you have some sort of anecdote or story. Yes, because that is what a passionate learner does. They figure out a way to make the information actually matter to them and be alive to them. Um, and when there's players like that that are are excited to, to hear lots of quizable questions because it's like they're going and hanging out with all of their best friends. This is, I remember reading about a, uh, a, a really prominent mathematics professor that I can't remember his name right now, uh, but he said something like, I love numbers and every number is my friend. And if it comes me versus him and we have to take a math test and he's hanging out with all his friends and I'm, you know, surrounded by enemies, there's no chance, Ken. All right. Thanks again, Michelle, for writing in. Uh, and again, if you have a question that you want to ask us, our email address again is 410points. That's F-O-R, the number 10, points at gmail.com. All right, Mr. T, we talked a lot about bonuses today, but you can't get to a bonus unless you answer a question. And a good way to answer a question is to answer it for 15 points. The guys at For 10 Points want to help you answer for 15 points. Power a question with this episode's buzz phrase. This episode's buzz phrase comes from the 2020 HC history. This state was home to the Huguenot-controlled Fort Caroline. This state was the site of the Dade Massacre, and one leader in the state was killed when a false flag trick was tried by General Thomas Jessup question goes on to mention Osceola, the Seminoles, and the Everglades. This would lead us to Florida. There are so many great geography players, Mr. T, so you need to get in early on these questions if you want to beat them. The Dade Massacre, named for Major Francis L. Dade, the namesake of Dade County, which is where one would find Miami, Florida. And serious history players would connect the dots on the Dade Massacre and General Thomas Jessup as parts of the First and Second Seminole War, Seminoles, Florida. So to beat everyone to the question, we need to find a little bit more about Fort Caroline. Fort Caroline was a French fort built in 1564 on the St. Johns River near present-day Jacksonville, Florida. It was established by a group of French Protestants, known as Huguenots, who were fleeing religious persecution in France. This was the first attempt at a permanent French settlement on the continental United States. In 1565, the Spanish saw Fort Caroline as a threat to their claims in Florida. Pedro Menendez de Aviles led a Spanish force which attacked and destroyed the fort killing most of the Huguenot inhabitants. This attack was part of ongoing tensions between Catholic Spain and the Protestant Huguenots amid the French Wars of Religion. The Spanish later would build their own fort, San Mateo, on the ruins of Fort Caroline. So if you hear a question, looking for a state, and they mention Fort Caroline, Huguenot want to miss buzzing in and saying... Florida. So I'll go in a different direction this week, Ken. Uh, do you know why the, the Florida man has this national claim about like Florida man? I've heard of this mythical Florida figure. man. Yes, I've heard of. So the the reason behind it is actually really interesting. It uh, is that uh, you know when before someone you know shows up in court, 
uh, Florida protects your identity. So instead of saying, you know, um, the name of the person who was wrestling the alligator in the town square, uh, it'll just say Florida man wrestles alligator in town square. Uh, and so after a couple thousand news articles that all say Florida man, you know, drives pickup truck into Everglades, you know, mm-hmm. kidnaps 20 gators, uh, this, this mythical figure of a single Florida man who has done all of these things is responsible for all of these, uh, you know, crimes, some serious, some minor, uh, has, has come to light. So uh, I thought that was just an interesting fact. And uh, Ken, you know, orange, you glad I'm flamingoing in a different direction with these sign-offs, you know, a little bit more informational. I was waiting for something like that. Yeah. So uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, this has been for 10 points, uh, the best podcast on the web for everything quizable related. Hopefully, whether you're a player, uh, a coach, or just trying to improve, we have helped you get better with your bonuses. Uh, I am your host, Andrew Triago, and with me uh, signing off for my co-coach, Ken Romeo. We'll see you all next time.